seen that. But here it is. It says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God, and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered under death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death works in us, but life in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. I've often read this passage with a sense of awareness that there's a lot that Paul is talking about. Um, and he's talking from experience. If you know what I mean by that, when he says troubled, distressed, perplexed, um, persecuted, cast down, all those things he experienced. In our scriptures, there's a place where he talks about some of the troubles and trials he's gone through. And if you begin to read the bucket list of painful things he's had, each one of them was, is enough to make one person give up. Shipwrecked, snake bit, uh, beaten uh, or whipped three times, the 40 minus one lashes. Man had to be in bad shape for all that. Um, all those different things that he had in jail, imprisoned, persecuted, um, all those things. Each one of those things you look at and go, you know, that was pretty tough. And then Paul says, and then I got another thing and another thing. And in all those things, God is faithful to Paul to bring him through those. And there's a reason why. When Paul was called, God told him, he would testify in Rome. All those things happened before he got to Rome. So he knew he would make it to Rome somehow. Because God does not make a promise and fail to deliver. And so Paul had that kind of faith that could go through that because he knew he had to testify. Even if it was his last breath, he was going to testify in Rome. And we know that Paul not only testified in Rome, he lived for a long time thereafter. So 
Paul has an awareness that it's not about him. He's not the one who is the source, if you will, of the hope and the strength. He realizes that his body is very, very frail. He's, he's mentioned in this Second uh, Corinthians that his, um, he asked three times for God to remove a thorn in his flesh. And God did not. Paul had problems. Some people say Paul had a wife that he just never saw anymore. We don't know. We say he may have had a family. We don't know. But Paul was solely about the ministry. And that is what he did. Why? Because all he could think about, all he was consumed with, was Jesus and Him crucified. He even said to the church in Corinth, I only sought to know nothing amongst you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And made it to the basic core of the gospel. And later on he tells them, I couldn't feed you meat, had to give you the milk. He wanted to feed them meat, but he had to give them the basic core elements. God has given us as a church a promise. He's told us that we are going to reach this community, this region around us, that we have been called to do that, that that is our call, our core, our ministry focus, and that people will respond to that ministry. I also know that he's spoken to my heart that he's very much interested in the youth and in the children that are now coming. He has a heart for them and he has a desire to bring them up to be his people. I believe God wants to bring those little Gabriels and etc. and tithes and all those folks into his fold as strong witnesses to change and transform the face of our county. I believe that. I also believe that God has a desire to revive the whole region. That there's been prophecy after prophecy that where the four rivers are meeting is where the newest and great revival will occur. And that prophecy, the four rivers is this region here where we're in. That this is the revival. And people have been talking about this in many places, in many times. I believe God wouldn't inspire people to say that if it were not true. I believe we're going to witness that. When you begin to grab a hold of those things as the truth, before they happen, you're a person of faith, walking by faith. In 2 Corinthians, the next chapter says, we walk by faith, not by sight. You wondered where that verse is? It's chapter 5, verse 7. But we're not there yet. We are in the scripture. We are walking by faith now, knowing that God has something in store that He's promised, and we embrace it openly, as it says in Hebrews 11, that it will one day manifest, but we receive it as though it's happening now. Someone once said to John Wesley, I think it was the Georgians, when he was struggling with his call. John Wesley wasn't always a great revival speaker, as you may or may not know. John Wesley struggled, and what he was told by them was, the Armenians there was, preach faith until you have it. In other words, act as if. As if it's already happening. As if it's already occurring in your life. 
And John Wesley began to do that, and soon enough, faith was his byproduct. The messages God's been giving me over the last four Sundays are not act-as-if messages. They are act-because-it-is messages, that we are healing people. We are people of transformation. We are people who have the authority of Jesus Christ when we speak out of His Word to transform lives right in front of our eyes. That is a reality. And to embrace that and live in that reality is sometimes hard for us. It's because it sounds like, well, I don't see anything happening. Doesn't matter if you see it happening or not, you still need to step forward and say, this is God speaking through me, I'm going to not be shy with it. Trust that God has your back. Scripture says He's your rear guard and He's your forward and He's your standard that goes before you, the banner that goes first in the battle. And He's also your friend right by your side. So it says in verse 1, We have this ministry, and as we have received mercy, we do not faint. But we renounce the hidden things of dishonesty so that what we do, we do with integrity. That there's not something where someone can say, you know, I really believe this is true, but this person is not a good example of that. How many times have you ever heard someone say, I really like this person, but their walk doesn't match their talk? We can't be people like that. We can't have hidden things of dishonesty in our life. We can't, as it says, walk in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That means for personal gain. We can only manifest the truth by commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And that simply means that we have a task of commending ourselves as a believer who walks under the conscious awareness that God is our King and our righteous soon coming judge. We believe that we will stand at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and give an account for every purpose place in our lives. That we will give an account of everything we said and everything we did. Not necessarily to be judged for it, but to receive a reward or not. Because we'll already have a robe of righteousness on because we belong to Him. But we will still give an account. And how many of us want to stand there giving an account of what we did not do? Not me. Not when we know that we have the ability, because Christ has told us over and over again, we are His holy place. So, if our gospel is hid, it's hid to those that are lost. The people that won't receive what we say are the ones who are not supposed to receive it. But there are people who we do share it with, like the sower scattering the seed. There will be someone who is good ground that hears that. And burst forth with fruit for the kingdom of God. Our job is just to scatter the seed. And not say, well it's that person that God's going to minister to. And I'm not going to talk to that one. Because that's not the one. Ours is, as they call them, broadcast spreaders. <laughs> is that what they call them, Hubert? Yeah. <laughs> broadcast spreaders. We're like a radio station that sends it in all directions. We're not too concerned with who's listening. We're concerned more that we're saying it. That we belong to Him and He's compelled us to be generous with His Word that He's given us. 
So those who are lost won't receive it. It's not our job to condemn them for that or to say that they are not allowed to hear it. <laughs> those folks, in verse 4, he says, the God of this world has blinded their minds of those who don't believe, or else the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is in the image of God, would shine unto them. There comes a time in every life when all of a sudden the true reality of God makes its way through. There may be a moment when the vilest, worst offender of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is totally blasphemed God, sees a moment where God is real and Christ can save them, and that's the moment we hope we're broadcasting. What a shame it would be if there was only one moment and we thought our words didn't carry any weight so we didn't say them. Or our hearts didn't have enough love and faith, so why should we share them? What kind of world would that be if we as believers thought we were ineffective simply because we felt that way? Or that we saw no fruit? I tell you, God puts every believer through a period of no fruit. There will be a period of time when you don't see any answers to prayer. Because God wants to know that you're loving Him just because of Him. Not because of the fruit, not because of what He provides, but because you love Him with your heart. Regardless of whether He gives you anything or not, He's going to put you through a period like that. I've seen it happen in many lives. And on the other side of that is the deepest, closest relationship with Jesus Christ you'll ever have. And in that moment, if you have come to that relationship and realize that, and you're still spreading the word, even though it seems like it's raining on shallow ground inside of you, that one moment when that person who could have had the opportunity to hear the word and didn't get a chance because someone said, I, I'm not of use. Be ready in season and out of season. Always have a reason for the hope that lies within you. The Holy Spirit will give you words to speak at the right time. Don't be afraid of them. Don't give up. Was it not Winston Churchill that said, never, ever, 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 ever give up? Man of belief that the cause that he was working for was worthy of working on without giving up on it. We have a bigger one than a united England and a saved world. We have a world that's lost. Tremendously heartbreaking the number of people in this planet that do not believe in Christ. You know we're over the 7 billion mark in people in this world? 7 billion? When I was young it was like 5. We're already up to 7. Maybe it was 4. But I do know this. They said in the next 10 years, it'll be at 8. Our population is growing crazy. And there's people that need to get the word of the gospel. Who to do it? But those who have it. Whether they think they're an effective evangelist or not. But we preach in verse 5, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus. This gospel that we share is not about me. 
I don't want that responsibility anyway to be the one whose gospel it belongs to to define it. I can't. I sleep sometimes. <laughs> I hurt sometimes. I'm not in the mood to preach a gospel all the time. But it's not my gospel I'm preaching. It's the gospel of Christ that we speak. We are not commending ourselves as his servants, but Christ Jesus as the answer. There is no other answer for us. It's the same God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness that shone in your heart and in my heart. Willie, what seat were you sitting in when that light shined in your heart? Do you know what seat you were sitting in when you found the Lord here? What one was it? Can you point to it? Second seat right there. I bet y'all can remember the exact place and time when the light of Christ shone in your heart. That was the moment when you got something that didn't belong to you, that you got to keep. And that was the heart and spirit of Christ Jesus. That spirit is alive and well in you. Even on days when you don't feel like it. Even on days when you're overly confident in your own ability. God is not looking for your confidence, though, in yourself. He's looking for your trust in Him. And so that light which shone in our hearts has given us the knowledge of the glory of God that Christ is real. That God has established these principles that He did create this world and He did say it is good when He said let light shine in the darkness. And when He created man and breathed life into him and made him a life-giving spirit, that God we know is who he has been told. He's been revealed by the prophets. Some people say, well, you know, I wasn't there to see the flood, but every religious tradition has a flood. There was a flood according to every single belief. Whether it's Muslim, Buddhist, they all know there was a flood. And so if we say, well, I don't know if there's a flood or not, well, then you're disagreeing with all of history that said it is. God in the Bible is as He was revealed. You can trust it. You can stake your life on it and your death and your eternity. We know this. That kind of confidence is not in flesh and blood. It's in the Word of God proven time and time again that He is who He says He is. And it's true. And we knew it was when His light shone in our hearts. That confidence in who He is is what we proclaim, not ourselves. Simply put, I didn't save me, He did, and I'm thankful. And He can save you. And I'm thankful for that too. And there's hope for even the worst sinner. What does it say? Um, the moment the vilest offender believes, how does that song go? Praise the Lord, let the earth. That moment, the vilest sender a pardon receives as soon as they believe. A pardon. We need that. We need to know that. And we are the messenger of the message. And so we have this treasure, it says in verse 7, and this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, in earthen vessels. 
We are the clay, the dirt that Adam was. We have this treasure in dirt, clay pots, if you will, that the excellency is shown that it's God's power, not ours. What does it say? We, we were born as dust and to dust will return. When we're at the graveside, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we came from the dirt, we'd return. Now, the glory of God is in us. And it's not us. It's a treasure. It's something that when you realize how wonderful God is and how powerful that relationship is, that you value that more than anything else. They like a jeweler who finds a pearl of great price, sells all he has to get to one. Or the man who finds a treasure in a field, sells all he has to buy the field, own that treasure. That he won't let anything else get in the way of it. Because it's that important. It's that life transforming. Try to live a day without God and you'll understand what I mean. That it's that valuable. And the excellency of the power or the supreme power is from God. It's not from us. Why? As flesh and blood, we're persecuted, trotted, beat down, wore out. But we're not destroyed because the power of God sustains we bear in our body the frailty of human flesh and every day God revives us for his work we are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. And that doesn't mean we're dying. It means that we are being poured out as unto death. That our body is not our primary concern, but the kingdom is. Here's how Paul looked at this, and this is how I thought you might want to take this home with you. Paul looked at it like this. He said, this body is going to be worthless one day. If you had an ability to melt it down and take all the raw materials out, it's worth about $20 in elements. Most of us, our bodies is water. The other stuff, not worth much. But I promise you, what Paul understood was this, that when he saw that his life could transform others by a relationship with Jesus Christ that, that God would use him? Him, the chiefest of all sinners? Then let whatever needs to happen to this body happen as long as God is glorified. Paul said, if I'm in chains, I'm going to rejoice. If I'm free, I'm going to rejoice. If I'm miserable, I'm going to rejoice. In all things, I'm going to rejoice because this body is not the ultimate Resting place for me. So this body bears the marks of death. Frailty. It gets older. But the life of Christ. The power of God. Does not change as we age. It does not get old. It waxes fresh every day. It is the life source. That's why you see believers who are 70 years old. As I know. Some that have been. 80 years old even, 
so full of energy riding motorcycles and driving across the country talking about Jesus. I'm not even 70 and I wouldn't do that. Last I heard, the lady who did that was 85, still riding a motorcycle all across the country talking about Jesus. Dear friend. I don't know what got into her to do that, but can you imagine? She still plays tennis at 85. And she says she likes tennis because it starts out at love. <laughs> That's the score in tennis at the beginning. Love, love. It means zero. So if you look at it in terms of the Paul's understanding, the Pauline doctrine, if you will, our lives are only as good as the power of God manifested through them. Well, we're 20 bucks on open market, folks. That's not saying much. But we're worth an infinite number of lives if we can bring some in. And that's what I think God's going to ask us at that great white throne. Who'd you bring? Do you know me? Who'd you bring? He's not going to ask you, was, was life tough? No, of course it is. He's going to ask you, who'd you bring? And hopefully we each can say, I can't count. There's so many. Paul said, I'll beat my body to death to get one more. He even said in this, I think it was Corinthians as well, I've become all things to all men that I might get some. reason we're still here is God's got work for us to do. Amen.